When I began this radio program just a little over two years ago, it was my intention at the time, and it still is today, to provide a balance between the news you need to hear that is often being overlooked or or literally being lied about, and also the promise of good news, to find that balance between the difficulties in which we live and the promises God has for those that love Him even in difficult times. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome to the weekend edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. We're always thankful that we have this audience on the weekend. We have additional radio stations that air the program. And if you're one of those that only hear the program on the weekend, and you've listened for any length of time, I just want to take a moment to thank you for taking that time from your life to share it with me. I've got a couple of news stories that I want to share. As I said, it's it's always a difficult balance to bring you important news and things going on in the background that, that often the mainstream media just does not want to discuss. And I ran across a few things that I want to share on the first part of the program today. But also, I want to share with you something that I ran across in the book of Isaiah as I was getting ready for this program and that time of meditation, that time of saying, Lord, give me the words. Chapter 24 of Isaiah starts with these words. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste and turneth it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with the master, as with the maid, as with the mistress, as with the buyer, the seller, with the lender and the borrower, as with the taker of usury, so with the giver of usury to him. The land shall be utterly empty and utterly spoiled, for, for the Lord hath spoken his word. The earth mourneth and fadeth away, and the world languisheth and fadeth away, and the haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate, Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. And that chapter continues on. And, and I was thinking, when I ran across that, with all the news stories we've shared on the program this week, take a look around you, and look at how far we as a people, as we have a, as a people have literally fallen, in 10, 15, 20 years. Now, I've never said, and I I don't mean to imply that we were a much better and less sinful people. We've always been a sinful people, but we've had restraint. And today, the filters and the restraint are being lifted. Look at what the schools try to teach children today. Human sexuality is something that should be Reserve for later in life, number one, and at the appropriate time. 
Yet there are these teachers that want to force sexuality, gender transitioning, all of it, to children that are literally in preschool. And this is the world in which we live today. The pandemic of the past couple of years, we've talked about it extensively on this program. And we have said for a long time, there are things that we've been told that literally, and to be quite honest, don't add up. Then we were told the vaccines will keep you from getting COVID. They don't do that. We know that now, sadly. They don't stop you from getting or spreading COVID. So why the desire that everybody everybody needs to somehow get jabbed? You know, I'm looking at this story to give you an idea of some of the things that occurred over these past two and a half years. I found this story about a woman. Her name is Gail Seller. Gail Seller. And back on December 3rd of this past year, her doctor, her doctor told her she's going to die. That's what she was told on the 5th of December. She had been admitted on the 3rd of December for COVID-19. And on the 15th of December, despite extreme resistance from the hospital staff, her husband, Brad, extracted her from the Medical City Plano Hospital in Plano, Texas, where the couple lived. Now, Seller is one of those few patients who has lived to tell her story about what she witnessed on the inside with the COVID-19 hospital treatment protocols. And she says, it became clear to me that people are not dying in hospitals from COVID. They're dying from the protocols. She went in for a monoclonal antibody infusion with the request that she be given the early treatment protocols prescribed by the Frontline Critical Care Alliance, which even included the use of ivermectin and other other drugs, which, of course, the CDC said never worked. And when the staff discovered she was unvaccinated, their entire tone changed. I quickly lost the right to my advocate for my own medical care. As she said, she didn't come there to die. But there she was. And they were trying to get her to take remdesivir, the drug known to cause kidney failure. They, they All the protocols, all the CDC protocols were being pushed on her. And she'd have to keep reminding them that she's not a do-not-resuscitate patient. And this went on and on for days. And then her husband got her out of there in time. And yes, she got to the monoclonal antibodies and she's alive and well and able to share her story. What it comes down to is if they intubate her, if they should put her on a ventilator, the hospital can get like a half a million dollars in reimbursement for patient for following the CDC protocols. The protocols that are far less expensive and work are being denied. It's all about the money. All about the money. Many families have reported that physicians will tell them the patient needs oxygen and rest, and the oxygen is used to such a high degree 
that later a ventilator is required because the lungs have been damaged. Lack of nutrition, this occurred to her. Yeah, she got out. One of the things that has really disturbed me are how many in the medical profession have bowed down to the money and the fear of losing their license to follow these many protocols. You know, that physician told told the husband, Brad, that his wife wouldn't make it 24 hours if she left, yet she lives today to tell her story. Her healing at home had more to do with recovering from her experience at the hospital than the virus itself. Yet these doctors and these hospitals will make these statements over and over again. Hey there, you know, we we hire physicians. We follow the protocol. We follow the science. How many times did we hear that line over the past two years only to find out it wasn't even true? It's a heartbreaking story. This woman would have probably died. Matter of fact, I will say with certainty she would have died. I knew somebody in the Tampa, Florida area, a friend of mine, came down with COVID, ended up because he was having some difficulty. He's in his later 70s. Went to the hospital. Went to the VA hospital. Big mistake. Almost cost him his life. His wife, just like this husband for this wife in Texas, you have to know her. She came into that hospital with her lawyer and a couple of other people, and they got him out of the hospital, and the hospital was saying, you can't take him. You can't take him. He'll die if he leaves here. He's alive today, but he would have been dead. We were preparing for the worst. We were told he was going to be on a ventilator, and the odds are he wouldn't make it. That's over a year ago. More like a year and a half ago now. I spoke to him on the phone just a few weeks ago. He sounds wonderful. This is the world in which we live. Where truth is now sacrifice at the altar of expediency. This this entire pandemic, and and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because I have more important things to talk about, vastly more important things to share that I want you to hear before the program is over today. The basis for all these vaccines that came out, which are nothing but gene therapy, totally experimental, not really proven, was based on the assumption we were told that it would end the COVID-19 pandemic. And how would it end it? It would prevent infection. It would prevent spread. Do you remember when Joe Biden said, including the Delta virus, which is much more transmissible and more deadly in terms of non unvaccinated people, the vi- the 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 various shots that people are getting now cover that they you're OK. You're not going to you're not going to get covid if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. Now, that little audio soundbite came from a CNN town hall meeting with Joe Biden. And what he said was, if you get vaccinated, you will not get COVID. And if you don't get COVID, then you can't spread COVID. And then the pandemic is going to come to a wonderful and very rapid end. 
and he kept blaming the unvaccinated for keeping the pandemic alive. Mainstream media, social media, like Facebook and Twitter, major newspapers, all of them bought the lie and kept perpetuating this myth that the vaccine would make you COVID-proof. And I can tell you over a year ago, I had people on this program, people that I've spoken to, people that I trust and have read, who said that's not the case. In fact, some even challenged the claim that it might reduce symptoms. The best we could find a year ago and now is it may do that for a short duration. And you have to keep getting booster after booster after booster. And they wanted to come for your children with these vaccines. Children don't need it. A matter of fact, it is now estimated to show you how minimal the impact COVID-19 has on children. In some nations where millions of children were infected, they, they tracked to see what happened. Nobody died. Children didn't die. When they do contact tracing, as I mentioned earlier this week, they, they couldn't find a connection of some child bringing the, the virus home to grandma and killing grandma. That was the, the reason to vaccinate children. And the reason that, that school unions wanted to keep classrooms closed forever, seemingly anyway. They still don't want to go back if they can get away with it. It is estimated now that 80% of all children, at least in the United States, have had COVID and probably didn't know it. That's right. COVID has worked its way through like any virus does. Somebody I read, I don't always agree with everything, but he makes a statement, a virus is going to virus. It's going to do what it always has done. Over time, it gets vastly more contagious and becomes less deadly and even less symptomatic for most people. And so reading this story about the woman who escaped the protocol that was destined to kill her, I mean, let's be, let's be honest about this. We treated COVID-19 differently than we've ever treated anything like it, even the flu or pneumonia. When people have bacterial pneumonia, which is in essence what they're, they're having to deal with in the hospital, it's a secondary to having this respiratory virus. You don't put them on ventilators, but they did. And we ordered thousands of these machines to be sent all over the United States, and they went, most of them, unused. And the odds of living if you were put on one, was less than 20%. You know, I'm looking back to what what Biden said, that if we made this sacrifice and and got the vaccine, we would be fine. I mean, we're, we're violating our bodily autonomy. I know that. That's what they wanted you to do. And here we are. You know, there's an individual by the name of Jimmy Dore. He's a comedian. And back in August, and I'm not going to play the audio cut, but he did make an interesting statement. When he looks 
you know, government officials that a year ago said, get the vaccine, you'll be COVID proof, take off your mask. All of that was a lie, every bit of it. Then they want you to put the mask back on like it works. And there are still people walking around in grocery stores and outdoors, driving by themselves in an automobile, thinking that that two for a dollar paper mask is going to save them from COVID. There's not a study to prove that. So Jimmy Dore made this statement. He said, this story, and he's talking about how the talking heads and the government officials, the CDC, the NIH, all of them, the vaccine manufacturers, without apology, you know, had gone on and on and on about how COVID would be stopped with the vaccine. And many people were saying that is not true when they said it. But you couldn't say it on Facebook. You couldn't say it on Twitter. You couldn't say it in the mainstream media. You'd be shot down. Misinformation. You heard it all before. I know people that had their Facebook accounts where they were put in Facebook jail, where they couldn't post for a month for making those kind of statements. But see, now without apology, they're all quietly changing the narrative. And they're admitting that maybe it's not true after all. And so what Jimmy Dore had to say was, this story is close to my heart because it exonerates me. They've been lying about COVID. They've been lying about the vaccines. They have been lying about herd immunity. They've been lying about natural immunity. They've been lying about the face mask. They've been lying about children. In fact, they have been lying about everything. Who would have thunk big government and big pharma would lie to us? for profit, no less. And see, that's what we now know. They're they're finally getting around to slowly admitting because the numbers are coming in. I mean, look at everybody that has been triple and quadruple vaccinated that suddenly has come down with COVID. I thought they were supposed to be COVID proof, like the president, like Dr. Fauci, like all of them. Turned out it wasn't true. Yep, Biden's saying you're not going to get COVID if you get the vaccination. Like Fauci said, when when everybody's vaccinated, when you're vaccinated, you can feel safe because you're never going to get infected. It was a lie. (laughs) They knew it then. Justin Trudeau in Canada. If you've done the right thing and you've gotten vaccinated, you deserve the freedom to be safe from COVID-19. Now, that's a word salad. Think about that for a second. Then you deserve the freedom to be safe from COVID-19. In other words, you can deserve freedom to be safe from an infection if you take the vaccine. You can get your freedom back if you take the vaccine. You can be free to live with a vaccine passport controlling what you're doing if you just comply. Even the vice president of the United States made it clear, if you're vaccinated, you are protected. Daniel Andrews, premier in Victoria, Australia, claimed that with these Three doses, you'll be preventing not only severe illness, but even getting the virus, even the Omicron virus. And therefore, you can't give it to others. All of it was a lie. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. I'm going to move on because I have too many other things that I, I really want to share with you. But 
the reason we did this program was we saw these stories falling apart over a year ago. The narrative was not there. The evidence of what these vaccines could do was real sketchy at best and questioned by reputable doctors that put their income, their license, their livelihood, and their entire, all their families on the line. I mean, look, if you're a doctor, you could have easily just gone along with the flow, kept your mouth shut, did your thing, try to avoid the topic, and you'd be just, you know, going along to get along. And what it really comes down to is these authoritarians, and we're seeing this in the United States, and I want to move in this direction right now. The authoritarians that now think they rule the United States. You know, the word ruler is not something you find in the United States Constitution. Maybe you have it in other parts of the world. But here in the United States, the concept of a ruler is something we did not want. We wanted a representative government. We wanted freedoms. We wanted freedom to be one of the most important attributes of our society. You know, the Democrat Party in the United States always used to brag about being for the little guy. You know, the common person, the person that is working, the farmer. And in many ways, it was somewhat true. I never agree with all of their policies, but I never would challenge Democrats that, shall we say, served in World War II. During the 50s and 60s and 70s, that may have voted for a Democrat. Because the difference between the parties was not as enormous as it is today. A matter of fact, to give you an idea, now this would be something that a Democrat could never say today, would never say today. They would be, well, you know what the reaction would just be. People would be screaming. In John F. Kennedy's 1961 inaugural address, on that cold January in Washington. He made these these, uh, pronouncements. He said, We dare not forget that we are heirs of that first revolution, meaning, of course, 1776, which Kennedy then described as grounded in the belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but these Rights of man come from the hand of God. Can you imagine a Democrat like Joe Biden making such a claim today? There'd be screams of separation of church and state, and and you can't have that in the public square anymore. We got to get rid of all religion. We We need to adopt the philosophy of John Lennon in that song, Imagine. Imagine there's no religion. No countries. That's the world that the Democrats are trying to bring today. And most leftists and liberals around the world are doing the same thing. Playing off the same page. You know, Kennedy said back then, the world, to a world composed of clans and tribes, the Bible introduced the very idea of the individual to a world that valued the wealthy and the well-born before others, like royalty, the Bible taught the dignity of the common man. 
To a world that prized order and control, the Bible spoke of liberty. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine a Democrat saying something like that today. They never get away with it. But that's the world in which we live. And that's why we will continue to keep doing this radio program. By the way, we're on essentially Monday through Friday and then the weekend edition. And I know a lot of you never get a chance to hear the other programs. If you'd like to find out more, let me invite you to visit our website if you've never done it before. The website is truththenumber2ponder.com. Truththenumber2ponder.com. And on the website, you'll find all the ways you can hear the radio program, either as a show on a radio station or you can hear it as a podcast. Matter of fact, you can even subscribe to the podcast. And every time a new episode is available, you'll get an email. That's about it. We're not going to send you a whole bunch of emails, but you can sign up for that. And if you ever get tired of it, you can turn it off as well. And I would love for you to to take a, a look at our website. You can find out about who I am, why I do this radio program, other resources, and I'd appreciate it so much. By the way, this radio program has grown because it is on radio stations, including International Shortwave. I would venture to say that the many thousands that listen to this program came to this program from shortwave radio, even if they're listening today as a podcast. And not a week goes by that I don't hear from somebody that listens to the radio program on shortwave. Maybe they've listened for a year, two years, maybe just a matter of days or weeks. And I want to thank all of you that have taken the time to support us. Now, I'm going to take the break early because I have something really, probably the most important aspect of today's program coming on the other side of the break. And it's going to take everything out of me to do it. But I need to share with you some things from my heart to yours. And I I am firmly believing that if you're going through a difficult time, if you are looking at something that is just awesomely frightening, if you look at the world condition and wonder how we're going to get through, maybe a family tragedy. What I have to share on the other side may be just what you need to hear. And I hope that you'll stick around. As I mentioned, we're on shortwave radio. We do have to pay for that airtime. If you can help us, and I hope you can, would you consider a gift made payable to Ancient Word Radio? Ancient Word Radio. And by the way, we have a new mailing address. If you're still using the old one, don't worry. Mail is catching up. It will all the way till like the end of October. So if you use the old address in Florida, it's still going to get to me. But there's a new mailing address, a lot easier to remember. And if you make your check payable to Ancient Word Radio, mail it to Truth to Ponder. And the address so simple, 510, P.O. Box 510. Post Office Box 510, the city is Chilhowee, 
C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowie, Virginia, and the zip code is 24319. Once again, the mailing address, P.O. Box 510. Chilhowie, C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowie, Virginia, and the zip code is 24319. That is 24319. Now, as I mentioned, when we come back, we're going to change directions. And and I'm going to need your prayers to get through this next segment. But I think for some of you today, this is going to be a game changer. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Beerman. The X Power coming up. Shalom Aleichem. Peace with you, my friend. And Messiah, this is Jonathan Kahn, the nice Jewish boy. Your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Messiah Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out. We're receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now, it's clear to historians that Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, was crucified the Passover weekend 2,000 years ago. The Sanhedrin was in charge. And by that a few things are established. The power of his enemies were at their high point. The power of his disciples were at their low point. His enemies had all the power. His disciples in the movement had no power. It should have fallen apart. It was centered on him. He was crucified, crushed, and all that. And yet, not too long after that, the Sanhedrin is spreading the story that his disciples took the body. In other words, suddenly the Sanhedrin didn't have any power, and they're claiming that the disciples and the disciples had no power at all. So what happened? How did this happen? How did this movement keep spreading? What happened? Why did it fall apart? Instead, why did it overcome the Sanhedrin, the Roman Empire, and the world? Why? Because of the X power. It's not about the disciples. It's about Messiah. In your life, you look at your situation and it may be, maybe you don't, maybe it is a mess. Maybe the circumstance is terrible. Maybe it's overwhelming. But are you forgetting something? Are you forgetting? It's not about your strength. It's about the X power. It's about the power of Messiah. That's what makes all the difference. So you can say, I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. You can overcome the world. You will have victory. The power of Messiah overcame Rome, hell, and the world. It cannot be overcome. So my friend, be strong and you can do all things. Trust in him because in him, you've got the X power. Want more? Ask for the first charge on CD, the first accusation against the resurrection and how strong the resurrection is. Now, the free gift for you from the sands of Judea, the awesome mystery of the temple doors on CD. You'll love it. And the sapphires guaranteed to bless your socks off. How do you get these gifts free? Easy. Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it. That's it. Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. You will be blessed, but call now for your free gifts. 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to minister with me bringing salvation to God's ancient people, Israel, and the unreached peoples of all nations on five continents with over a billion people. How? Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. You will touch the world. Through Shorey Radio, you'll blanket the earth. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or you can write me direct. Here's the address. The Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. That's Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Till next time, this is Jonathan Khan saying, Shalom Aleichem, peace be to you, my friend and Messiah, the Almighty King of Kings.
This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of our weekend edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. I had some, some sad news the other day that came to me from a very close friend of mine who lives in Texas. To be honest, he's one of the clergy within my church body. And we had just gotten up and I had this text on my phone. And it it asked me if I would stop what I'm doing and pray. My friend who's about my age, his son had just suffered a heart attack and he wanted me to pray. And then a a little while later, I received another text and it said my beloved son has passed away. 39 years of age, two children, in excellent health. In fact, a number of years ago, he had been offered a football scholarship to the University of Maine. He was undefeated in high hurdles, 90% on base average and my friend shared a lot more that I'm not going to get into today but I know that he is absolutely devastated at this time how does a parent lose a child we're we're not supposed to be burying our children it's bad enough that when you are married the day inevitably comes when one or the other generally has to to bury the other spouse. That's heartbreaking enough. And the truth is for many in our childhood, we experience first the loss of grandparents and then ultimately when you're in my age bracket, you have buried your parents. The thought of a parent or a grandparent for that matter, attending the funeral of a child or grandchild has got to be one of the most difficult pains that anybody could ever face. On that, there can be no doubt. A number of years ago, I'd been in the broadcast industry for, for many, many years. It's what, I, it's what I aspired to do with my life. I thought about ministry, but the doors always seemed closed. So 50 years ago, over 50 years ago now, I started my career in radio broadcasting. My goal was to initially be a famous radio announcer. I decided after about nine, almost 10 years of that, that was enough. And thankfully, I always had a a fallback position into engineering And I just quietly made the transition from behind the microphone to behind the scenes on the technical side. Life was more secure. Learned a lot. Made my way up the corporate ladder. And then one day, my wife got very ill. Now, I want you to understand, this is, oh, probably around 1980-something. My wife and I had put off having a family. I had married into a ready-made family, another story for another day. And we had put off having a child until 
our careers were, well, my career really was more stable so I could have a stay-at-home mom. And I had achieved that goal being a broadcast engineer in a major market with a very stable company. You know, had I stayed in that position, I could have been still there to this day. It is that stable. And so my wife and I decided we were going to have a child. And we're making all the plans that that parents make. I was excited about the prospect of somebody carrying my name and my lineage. We had gone to multiple doctor appointments to make sure that everything was fine. And it was. But then one day, one day my, my wife called me from her job. Actually, it was her employer called me from her job saying, your wife is in serious pain. You need to come get her right away. So I left my job, headed to where she worked, and took her immediately to her doctor. Different time. You could do that back then. The doctor immediately put her into the hospital. She had an, a pelvic inflammatory disorder, and she had to have an immediate hysterectomy. Thus, the idea of us ever having children ended that day. And it changed the way we dealt with life going forward over the next several years. It took her quite a long time to, to recover health-wise. And we decided to get away from all the stress of being a major market engineer because I really needed to spend more time caring for her. And ultimately, I ended up working for a broadcast transmitter manufacturer. And even then, as she recuperated, I started traveling a lot again. And the travel was getting old. And we decided it had been quite a long period of time, about five, a little over five years from the time that she had had to have that hysterectomy until we had gotten to that place where I'm now exhausted and beat up just from all the work. I love my job, but it was taking its toll. So I had a talk with my employer. And he was a good friend, not just an employer. I mean, really a good friend. And I said, Ron, that was his first name. I said, I need to take some time away. And But I don't want to leave this company forever. And he understood. And he understood the circumstances I was having with my wife and needing, you know, once again, we're hitting that time where a little bit of downtime would be wonderful. So I took a temporary position with a small college in Northeast Georgia, Now, for those that are listening in Georgia or South Carolina, I went to work for Toccoa Falls College, a Christian college near Toccoa, which is actually my wife's hometown. And so we decided to go there. They were trying to just rebuild their facility. The money was going to be less, but we figured for a year this would be wonderful. And then we could kind of restart our lives. That one-year commitment, 
that one-year commitment ended up being a grand total of 14 years on site at Tacoa. And a continued relationship for about, oh, I think almost five more years, almost, not quite, quite five more years after on a part-time basis. And a lot happened in my life during that time. The idea of my going into ministry was rekindled. Doing a lot of work for a Christian college, then even doing consulting work for a large Christian denomination in terms of communications and reaching people using radio became a big part of who I I was. And one day, it just happened by happenstance, as they would say. The opportunity to to start that pathway into the ordained pastoral ministry was open. It It took quite a while, but the door was open. And over the next few years... There was a lot of effort, a lot of study, a lot of work, a lot of writing, a lot of reading, a lot of praying, a lot of wondering, could I ever get through all of this? And through it all, through all of it, through all of it, my wife stood behind me. Going into the ministry is not the easiest thing for somebody to do, especially when you are now in your 40s at that point. And we've been through so much. And I'd been away from school for many, many years, so I wasn't sure how this was going to work. And so I'd get up and go to work, get home, have dinner, then go into my little office and begin a nighttime of reading and studying and all that it took to make it through. And there were times, I'm going to be honest, there were times that I thought, I can't do this. I just can't do this. You know, I, I just, I'll just stay being a radio engineer at a Bible college. Hey, this will be great. I can't do this. But my wife kept saying, sure you can. You know, look how much you've already got done. You're, you're 10% of the way there. You're 20%. You're now past 50%. You're on the home stretch. It took a long time. But I could see that goal. And the closer I got to the goal, the more energized I became to getting all of this work done. And I got it done just in time. You know, I had a grandmother and grandfather. I spent a lot of time with them when I was growing up on the weekends and then all of our summers all the way into high school. And my grandmother and grandfather always believed and always prayed every day that that somehow God would open the door for me to be a ministry. They felt it on their hearts since the day that I, I came along. And, and I really loved the things of God and his church, and I could see me doing it, but the door was never open. Another story for another day. But that door opened later in life. And I thought I'd be content staying working for the college and perhaps helping some smaller mission churches near where we lived. Made sense to me. But you want to know something? God had other plans. And 
I was asked to consider the possibility of taking on the responsibility of a church in Florida. Actually, there were three churches within my church body that needed clergy. And so my wife and I made the trip to visit these three places over the course of about eight days. One church, I'll just say this much real quick. One church had a beautiful building, but a congregation that was a little bit unsettled. Another group was growing, had money to build, but something told me that they wanted to employ a clergy, not have a clergyman lead them. And there was this one small, tiny mission on the west coast of Florida that if something didn't change in the near future, that ministry would come to an end is the only way to put it. It would have been all over. They would have gone out of business. They had been declining for several years. And so God really spoke to my heart. And I remember getting together with, we had a, what they call a synod. This is when a lot of the clergy get together. Happened around the same time, a few weeks after we had made the visit. And everybody was eagerly anticipating which of the three churches would I choose to take? Which one would my wife and I consider moving to to begin our ministry? And we felt very strongly, even though there was no way to afford to do it, the one church that had the, the greatest problems and no building and no money and a tiny congregation, that's where God wanted me to serve. And I, I can remember my wife and I talking about it. And, and I'm going, I'd love to go there, but you know they can't afford to pay anything. And I just have to find a job, and I'm not sure if I could. And on and on it went. And one day I went to talk to the president of the, of the college. His name is Dr. Paul Alford. And he and I become very close over my, my years there. And I explained my dilemma. And he said, you need to pray it out, Bob. You just need to pray and see where God would have you to be. And when you know and you are at peace with where God is calling you to be, then you come back to my office and you tell me where you believe God is leading you. So my wife and I, we prayed about this. And we had some sleepless nights about this, but I realized we had to go to that church. And I remember going to the college president's office, oh, that one day, and I'm telling him, yep, I've got to go there. And I said, I have no idea, but I'm going to step out on faith. And I made that commitment. And he said, I'm so glad to hear that because I have some news for you. We are going to keep your paycheck up for two years while you build that church. This is for all you've done for this college. And would you be a consultant? And so my ministry began and it flourished. And for the next several years, we took a small church in a little storefront to an interim building and then eventually into our own building. Four acres of land, educational wing. We had everything that church never thought they would have. And I thoroughly believed at that time with every ounce of my being I would spend the rest of my working life 
at that church. We had found a small home in a city called Venice, Florida, just south of where the church was, like 10, 15 minutes. Our life was just wonderful, is the only way to put it. I thoroughly enjoyed life, my wife did. Her health had recovered. The church was growing. And I figured till, you know, maybe till I'm 65, 67, maybe 70, who knows, maybe 72, I'd stay at that church and be a shepherd. I can remember my wife making this comment that the only way I'm leaving this home is feet first. She loved the fact that we had our daughter and granddaughter living directly across the street from us. We loved the church, we loved its people, I loved my ministry, I loved it all. And I even had a little bit of part-time radio work that I enjoyed doing for people that were wonderful to work with. Things changed. Started to change a little bit in about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago. My wife had a diagnosis of breast cancer. And nobody was really panicked at the time. It's just one of those things. And her odds of making it five years were really good, so they thought. They did a little bit of surgery, and then they followed up with chemotherapy, and then they followed up with radiation, and this went on for a year. And we got to the point, about a year and a half later, her hair had grown back, her health was back, she felt wonderful, and she was pronounced for the time being cancer-free. But it changed again. We were supposed to make a trip up to Tennessee. I was invited to speak at a church in Tennessee. And my wife, well, she thought she was coming down with the flu. Honestly, I thought about canceling the trip. My wife said, no, kind of late to do it now. This was on a Friday. You got to make that trip. It's a long drive. I was going to drive Saturday or Friday and then get in there Saturday and then speak on Sunday. Had one more place to visit in North Carolina after that and then come home. And my wife decided to go. She said, I'll, I'll get to the doctor on Monday and, you know, get this taken care of. So I went up to Tennessee. I preached at that church on Sunday. Had a wonderful time with the people there was heading over to North Carolina for the next group to meet with. And I got a phone call from my wife's doctor telling me I needed to return to Florida right away. And so I got in the car and I came back. And her cancer had returned, but this time it was lung cancer. And it was aggressive. And there were two options. You know, we can keep her comfortable, she could become a hospice patient, or we can try an experimental therapy, which we did. She was against it, I was for it. The therapy worked, and in a matter of months, she was herself again. And there in, there in the year 2004, in that summer, her feeling better again, we we celebrated our anniversary. It was at the end of end of August. We've been married 29 years at that point. And we were looking forward to the future. Things had improved dramatically and we thought we'd be okay. We we got past this one. This week is always hard for me. 
Because, see, if you go back to last weekend, and the dates are all lining up for the first time again in many years, it was a Sunday in 2004, in September, that my wife didn't feel that well and didn't go with me to church. And what happened was she collapsed while I was at church and it was brain cancer. And this weekend is the, is the 18th anniversary of my telling my congregation and coming to my church. She had been in the hospital for a week. She was in a coma. And this is the anniversary week of when I lost her. And it thoroughly changed my world. We all go through times of loss, just like my friend has lost his son. All of us go through difficult times, and it really does challenge and completely test every aspect of our faith. I understand it firsthand. My life is different now. God has given me a wonderful wife, but I can understand what it's like when you watch somebody being called home to their Lord. I have seen my last tomorrow I am holding my last breath Goodbye, sweet world of song My new life begins with death I am standing
Take my hand Lord, lead me home What a powerful message. What a powerful song. Keep me in mind this week as I remember 18 years ago all that I went through. Her passing away, her funeral, and the many years it took to rebuild my life to be where I'm at today. You know, God has resurrected my ministry. And it's a part of who I am. Doing the radio show is, is, is wonderful and I'll continue to do it. But more today than ever, this call to get back active and bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ is more important to me than anything else I've ever done. The story is told about a family watching the film, The Greatest Story Ever Told, and the children in the family were so deeply moved as Jesus traveled to the cross, tears ran down their cheeks, and they all sat quietly as they watched the film as Jesus and being taken off the cross. And that young girl then grinned and said, now here comes the good part. There is a good part. There is hope. I know we deal with, with sorrows and pains and difficulty and loss in this life, yet, yet the Bible is full of promises that he will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I want to bring people into that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for this ministry? If you can help us stay on the radio, it would mean a lot to me. If you would consider making a check payable to Ancient Word Radio, you can mail it to our new address. The old one still works, but here's the new one. P.O. Box 510. That's P.O. Box 510. Chilhowee. That's C H I L. H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowee, Virginia. And the zip code in Chilhowee, Virginia is 24319. That's 24319. And until next week, may God richly bless you. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's truth, the number two, ponder.com truth to ponder shining the light of truth in a darkening world